The Bible as a whole, you might say, is about the mission of God. That's what the whole Bible is about. And the church that was started 2,000 years ago was started to advance the mission of God. There's a couple of key passages. Many of us know them. You know, we call it the Great Commission, right? Matthew 28, Acts chapter 1, Jesus, the, the risen Jesus, says to his humble uh, group, which becomes the New Testament church, go into all the world and, and, and share this message with as many people uh, as far and wide as you can. The church was designed to advance the mission of God. And the mission, you, you know, at least the, in the New Testament, the, the church doesn't have a mission. You know, sometimes we have a mission. You know, we call it kind of the missions department. The church doesn't have a mission. It is a mission. I want us to think about that this morning. The church is a mission. That's the way the Bible uh, paints the picture. It is a mission. It's an extension of the mission of God. At the heart of that mission is the good news of Jesus Christ, the the gospel, this announcement, right, that's at the heart of the, the New Testament church, what God has done in Jesus Christ. The gospel is the announcement that's at the heart of the New Testament church. And this passage, which we're going to return to, uh, was kind of our overarching passage for this series. We started a couple weeks ago. This particular passage is one of the most significant in all the New Testament on the purpose of the church. So if you have a copy of the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Paul's letter to the church at Corinth uh, in a message titled, The Ministry of Reconciliation. The Ministry of of reconciliation. The Bible says these words. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. And this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us The message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, what he's saying Um, In this passage, there's not only a lot of rich theology in here, some pastoral passion in this larger passage, but what he's really saying is that God wants to open the eyes, open the hearts of people to this message through everyday people like you and me. That's what the heart of this passage is, right? God wants to reach people. It's his love, it's his work, it's his message, but he wants to reach them through everyday people like you and me. It's his work, his love, our lives, right? And Jason was talking about revival a few minutes ago. Sharing God's love is what we're talking about here, ministers of reconciliation. Sharing God's love is one of the most important ways for you and I to experience God's love. And it may be the reason some of us are under-experiencing God's love is because we fail to understand the purpose we've been called with, that as people who have been reconciled to God, as people who know Christ as Savior, we have been called to share this message, to be God's voice. God wants to make his appeal through us, 
the ministry of reconciliation. So a couple things this passage tells us about the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation begins, this passage says, with the gospel. Okay? Reconciliation begins with the gospel. If we're serious about wanting to reach people who are far from God, this is another way of talking about the ministry, if we want to reach people, now I say far from God, I don't mean they live far from here. I mean in their hearts, in their minds, it's ever more true in our world today, that people don't know the gospel. They don't know, they think the gospel is one thing, right? It's a, it's a self-help program. It's a, you do your part and God will do his. It's a get your act together and God will accept you. We're people who, if we're in serious about really wanting to reach people with the gospel, we have to re-understand, readjust our understanding of what the gospel is. We might need to have some of our assumptions challenged about what we think the gospel actually is. It is not our chance to get right with God. But God's declaration that he has made us right with him. Okay, let me say that again. What is the gospel? It is not our chance or our friend's chance to be made right with God. It is a declaration that God has made us right with him. Right? It's a declaration. It's the Pony Express. You know, it's, 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 it's the Pelican with, you know, with, the, with the birth announcement. Listen, God has done something. We call it good news. It's not about us getting right with God. It's about a declaration of what God has done in Jesus Christ to make us right with him. Listen to these verses. We read them two weeks ago. For if while we were God's enemies, Romans 5, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through him? Now listen carefully. While we were, leave that up there, God's friends, while we were church-going people, while we, got our, while we thought about it, after we turned our lives around, no, while we were indifferent, doesn't say that, while we were enemies of God, in a manner of speaking, while we were not interested in the things of God, while we said, I got better things to do with my time, while we were actual enemies, in a manner of speaking, we were reconciled nevertheless. God didn't ask your advice. God didn't ask your permission. Why were we yet sinners? Christ died for us. We were reconciled through the death of his son. It's essential. It's my point when I say reconciliation begins with the gospel. That's for Christians too, okay? For Christians too. It's essential that we find, some of us, or rediscover our confidence in the power of the cross as the foundation of what the gospel is, okay? It's the foundation of what the gospel is. That's why he says in verse 21, okay, is the resurrection part of the gospel? Of course it is, but he wants to so focus on the cross, this is what he says. He's gonna just talk about the death of Jesus. God made him, speaking of Jesus, to be sin for us. Now think about that. God made him to be sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. What does it mean that God made Jesus to be sin for us? It doesn't mean that Jesus became a sinner, right? We know that's not what it means. The whole Bible would contradict that. The, the whole gospel would become unraveled if Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was actually a sinner like you and me. 
No, he lived a perfect life. He died a, a, a substitutionary kind of death in line with the whole Old Testament system, the Lamb of God, right? Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus Christ did not die because he was a sinner. He, when it says he became sin for us, it means he was judged for our sin. We like John 3.16, but John 3.17 says, he, you know, he, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But God did not send his son, verse 17, into the world to condemn the world, right? He didn't, but to save the world. God came not to judge your sin. Oh my goodness, none of us would make it. He came to be judged for your sin. And this was not a reaction to a problem. It wasn't like, you know, the boat is sinking. Let's pull out the lifeboats. Man has blown up his life. Let's try to fix it together. It, the cross of Jesus Christ was not, a, was not an in-the-moment response to a problem. It was a sovereign act of God that was in the mind and heart of God before there was ever a planet Earth, before there was ever a solar system, before any human being ever walked the planet. Revelation 13, verse 8. Some of you know this. As we get to the end of the book of Revelation, making sense of the whole story of the mission of God. Jesus Christ, who's seen in the book of Revelation, in, in these strange images, as a slain lamb, right? The lamb of God. It says he was slain. He was the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. Okay? He was the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. And this sovereign act of God was big enough to cover every single person that has ever lived in the whole course of history all the way up until this day. That's what the cross of Jesus Christ is. The gospel is not our call to do something so that God might save us. It's an announcement of what he has done that people might trust him. Okay, let me say it again. The gospel is not a call for God so that we might do something. God save me, I'm drowning. It is an announcement of what he has done so that you and I and friends will put our trust in him. Let me give you an imperfect illustration. Let's say you grew up, if you didn't, you can imagine you did, in a working class family. What do I mean by working class family? I mean a family that, you know, maybe has two squares instead of three. A family that no one has their own bedroom. A family that, you know, if you go on vacation, you don't leave the state. You know, I mean, you, uh, you, 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 there's not a lot of, there's a lot of love, but there's not a lot of money. I kind of grew up in a house sort of like that, okay? Now, if that's the kind of house you grew up in, and all of a sudden, you're, uh, you're on your way to college and your parents sit you down. Say, son, daughter, um, your mom and dad want to tell you something. That we know you're going off to college, we're excited for you, but we want you to know something. That your whole first year um, of college, room and board and everything, it's been paid for. Here's the receipt. And the other three years, the money's in the bank, it's all taken care of. And you'd be like, oh my gosh, what are you talking about? You know, where my parents go? You know, I mean, I, I know, I, I appreciate what you're saying, but where in the world did you get this money? And they said, well, listen, I know it's, it's unusual, but before you were ever even born, before your mom and I ever even knew that we, we weren't even sure we were going to have kids, but we already 
loved you before you were here. We already loved you, and we had already decided, no matter what happened, that we wanted to love you enough. We wanted to provide for you. We wanted to have this money so that you'd be able to do something, go out and make something of yourself in the world. We thought we wanted the college education was the way, so we have been saving money since before we ever even thought about you. Okay, That's what we're talking about. That's what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, right? That's what, that's what we... And, and until... Only as we continually are amazed. That's when I say reconciliation begins with the gospel. It's only as we are continually amazed by this love that the effects of reconciliation begin to shape our lives in greater and greater ways. Part of this is a personal testimony. We talked about it three weeks ago. We started this series. Paul said, listen, the love of Christ compels me. I was a murderer. I was going in the wrong direction and God came and he kissed me awake. And he saved my soul. And not only did he say he loved me, he gave me an important work to do. The love of Christ compels me. And I realized that he died for all, that all therefore for whom he died, they should die to their own way of life. They should die to themselves and live for him who has given them everything, right? That kind of love needs to capture your heart and capture your imagination. Reconciliation begins with the gospel. Second thing, Reconciliation requires your whole life. This is what this passage says. It is the very heart of the gospel that it both gives everything and requires everything. Okay? It is the very heart of the gospel that it gives everything and requires everything. We've not only been reconciled to God... Right? Our sins are, as Jason said, we're hanging on for dear life and God has reconciled us. He's not counting our sins against us. That's the language of the passage. And he reconciles, he not only reconciles us to him, but to his purpose in joining him to send this message to everyday people. He uses the word ambassadors, right? God has chosen us. It is through our individual lives that the power, grace, and promised forgiveness is first illustrated, little by little, and ultimately made known, right? We are his ambassadors. Think about that. What does that mean, ambassadors? Paul is a great writer, and he started with this whole idea of reconciliation, which is about peacemaking. He said, listen, you, in this peacemaking work, God is calling, it's the ministry of reconciliation. God is reconciling this whole lost world as if the whole world were lost sheep, right? Jesus said this, the, it's like sheep without a shepherd. It's an image, but it's an image that, that made sense to us. He's saying, listen, they're lost. They're going in the wrong direction. They're headed for the cliff. There's, some, there's no one watching over them. I want to re, return them. I want to reconcile them to me. And I'm going to do that in Jesus Christ. But now I want everyone to know this message. And he says, you are ambassadors, verse 20, as though God were making his appeal through you. It is through your life. It is through my life that people hear this message. Listen, it's always been true in the church. I mean, going back thousands of years, 2,000 years, that, you know, it's a little intimidating to come to church if you've never been to church. If you're not a church-growing person, or you were and then you got de-churched, or something happened, or you, 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 it was really your parents' thing, or, you know, you went through this difficulty or that difficulty. It's not very typical ever for people to want to, you know, just wake up in bed that haven't, be, aren't churchgoers to come. Well, that's all the more true today for, very, for many, many reasons, Right? 
God wants us to go to them. What is, it, what is an ambassador? A couple quick things why this image is so helpful, right? Two things for sure are true of ambassadors. Number one, right? That's why this, this, this it, there's still ambassadors. There was ambassadors in Paul's day. There's ambassadors in our day. I don't need to unpack the, the concept of an ambassador. One thing is allegiance, right? If I'm the ambassador to the United Kingdom, you know, to, to Brazil, wherever the case may be, it's, I'm there to represent the country from where I've been sent. I'm there to represent the president. I'm represent the king. I'm there to represent the value system of the country from where I've been sent. I'm not there to tell you about my own ideas. I'm not there to tell you about my own politics. I'm not there to tell you about you know, my favorite foods or my favorite sports team or who, what I care about. I am there. I serve at the pleasure of the president in a manner of speaking as an ambassador. In Jesus Christ, we have an allegiance. And my allegiance is to the kingdom of heaven, right? That's what it means to be an ambassador. And I want to be able to do everything I can do to get close to people and let nothing else get in the way, right? That's what it means to be an ambassador. I'm there as a representative. Second thing that's true about being an ambassador is this whole idea of proximity, right? Think about ambassadors. If I'm an ambassador and, I, and, I'm, and, I, and I'm sent, as I say, to, let's say, the United Kingdom, I may live the rest of my natural life there, or at least as long as I'm serving, right? I don't, I don't commandeer airplanes and say, I want to get as many people in this country to get on planes to come back and see Disneyland, to come back and see Hollywood, to come back and see Washington, D.C. No, that's not what I do. I don't bring them back to the country. I bring my country to them. That's what an ambassador does. I'm going to come to the marketplace. I'm going to come to the opening of the, of the opera house. I'm going to come to the, the baseball games and, 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 the, and the parades. I'm coming to you, and I'm going to tell you, do my best to represent the country from where I've been sent. You know, we have, I've been doing some reading. Jason, was, we were singing earlier about revival. I just been doing some reading on revival about the revivals in America. There's three, at least three big ones. They call them the First Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, the Third Great Awakening, right? Some of you have heard this. 17th, 18th century, 18th century, even into 19th and 20th century. Well, the great, one of the First Great Awakenings, which happened in the 18th and then into 19th century, some big names, John Wesley, maybe you've heard that name, or George Whitfield. Here's the, they pioneered what was called the Open Air Meeting. Now, some of you get that. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Tent Revival, Instead of coming to a place like this or a, you know, a, a, a church, right, a steeple, they put up these tents, you know, a little sawdust, and they, had, and they had some whatever music they could get, and the preacher would give a message, and they called him a tent rail. Now, you and I think of that today as sort of a, a, you know, just a creative way to have, a, have some fun, church on the lawn, right? It's just something to do, and it's great. But when it was originally pioneered, let me tell you why it was done. Because there was a major change in society in the 18th century. And that major change was the Industrial Revolution. And all of a sudden, for generations where people just got up and went to work and went to their farm or went to their shop and then came home and never traveled very far in their whole lives, and it was very normal for them, many of them anyway, to go to church on Sunday, it was all part of the rhythm of everyday life until the Industrial Revolution blew everything up. And all of a sudden, the jobs were somewhere else and people were transported maybe with their family, maybe without, and all of a sudden it changed society and the, and the preachers and the, and, the, and, the, and the pastor says, what are we going to do? You know, Half of our church isn't here anymore. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring the church to them. We're going to go to these industrial centers. We're going to go to wherever these places are and we're going to set up whatever. What can we do? We can get a tent, all right? Get somebody with a banjo. Let's preach the gospel, okay? That's what Paul's saying here. 
we are his ambassadors as if God was making his appeal through us. I listened to this pastor. I've respected him for many years. And he's kind of near the end of his ministry now. And he was talking to a bunch of pastors. I just listened like two weeks ago. I was listening to it anyway. And he, he was talking to them about his ministry in retrospect. And he said, you know, going back early, uh, there was a season of years in my church where people were, were coming to faith for the first time in am- amazing numbers. He said, honestly, I've never seen anything like it. And I'm not just saying people moved from, you know, transferred from another church. People who had, did not know Christ, first-time believers. Anytime you were in a group of five or ten people, there was one or two that had just come to Christ in the last three years at our church. And he said, when we sat down there just to kind of figure out what in the world has happened, he said, we realized a couple things. Number one, we had no programs in our church for what you'd call outreach or evangelism. Not a single program. Not because we didn't believe in them, we just didn't have any. And he said the second thing was, we had no staff people at that time who they're the outreach pastor. We didn't have them either. He said, what we did have were people, many of them, who saw their lives as a place to live out the mission of the church. People who took this passage seriously, right? 1 Peter 3.15 Be always ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you about the hope that lies within you, but do it with gentleness and respect. Wow. How could I possibly do that if I wasn't in relationship with people already, right? How could I possibly do that if I wasn't in relationship with people already, why would they ask me about you know, my, how I raise my kids, how I manage my money, why I'm not freaked out because of the coronavirus? How would they know anything unless I'm in relationship? Be always ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you about the hope that lies within you and do it with gentleness and respect. This is what it means to be a minister of reconciliation. And let me say this. The Apostle Paul, he wasn't just a preacher and a writer. He lived it. Listen to these words, familiar from his first letter. He says, I, I practice what I preach. Paul, how do you do this? 1 Corinthians 9.23. Though I am free and belong to no one. What does he mean by that? He means Jesus Christ has, has liberated me from all other allegiances. Right? I'm, I'm free, that's what he means. I, I, I have, uh, no one owns me as a follower of Jesus. I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though, not, though myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, right, Pagans, let's say, or, or, or um, you know, secular people. I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. And I do this as an ambassador for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. What in the world does this passage mean? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. He's not saying I'm a people pleaser. He's not saying I'm a chameleon. Well, I don't want to offend anybody. So if I'm in your house and, you, and you're, a, you're, a, you're, a, you're, a, you're a Republican, I'm going to be a Republican. If you're a Democrat, I'm going to be a Democrat. 
If you're a, you know, a, a country person, I'm going to be a country person. If you're a city person, I'm going to be, that's not what he's saying. In fact, why would he, he couldn't, when he says, I'm a Jew, I'm going to be like a Jew. He was Jewish. What he's saying in this very passage, what he says, let me tell you what it means to be an ambassador for Jesus. My allegiance is to Christ. I'm there to represent the heaven and his values. And I've made a decision, though I'm free from everyone, if I really want to be a voice box, if I want to be an instrument so that God can make his appeal through me, I have to take everything else that has been so important to me and I need to lay it down. And it's not important what my politics are. It's not important what my favorite foods are. It's not important what my preferences are. Those things are not important right now. I'm going to do whatever it takes so that I can gain a hearing with you. It's God's love. It's his work. But he wants me to be the voice box, right? That's what he's talking about. This is why we need, that's why it has to begin with the gospel. Because for some of us, we might be Christians. But the gospel hasn't penetrated various areas of our lives. There's still things in our life that need to be redeemed. There's still things, the reconciliation needs to become actualized. It's gospel rediscovery. You know, one of the great, um, it's been, the coronavirus has been a real um, limiting factor for all of us in the last year or so. I mean, everyone's a little different. I actually have not been on an airplane. I know many of us have, but I haven't. I don't know that I've left the city of Rochester, I mean, even Buffalo. I, mean, I, I don't think so. It's just been my life, okay? And there's people in my family, like many of you, that I haven't seen. Some, one, two, three, you know, in my, in my immediate family that I haven't seen. My life has been limited. Let me tell you one of the bright spots that I think about when I was thinking about the last year that was. I've mentioned this to you before, but in the four years I've lived in my house here in Penfield, I've done a Christmas party. And that Christmas party... Rob's been to my Christmas party, lives in my neighborhood. And when I, and I've done that Christmas party, why did I do that? Just to get to know my neighbors. Well, Rob, do you have a little sermonette? No, right? It's not a Christian Christmas party. It's a Christmas party, right? That's the only purpose is just to get to know my neighbors and for them to get to know me, period. That's why we do it. And I've done it for three years, and this year, of course, I couldn't do it, you know? What else can be canceled? So I said, but this is what I'm going to do. At the very least, I'm going to just... Um, go to these, my, at least my immediate six neighbors, okay, and just drop them off a small uh, a gift, you know, a little, little uh, something from Cheesy Eddie. So I did that, and here's two interesting things that happened. Here's my little bright spot. One was two of those six neighbors, I, you know, I did it on a day. Nobody was really going anywhere in those days, you know, and it wasn't easy, it wasn't hard to, for people to answer the door. You know, each minute was maybe 10 minutes, you know, just standing on the stoop kind of thing. But two of those six people said this, Thanks for coming, and we're really going to miss, wait for it, our party. That was so encouraging. It's now it's our party, not mine. But then one of those neighbors came back maybe a couple days later, knocked on my door, and we sat and talked. Fortunately, it was kind of a warm day uh, for December, whatever it was, and talked for probably a half an hour, and they, I didn't, I just answered the door and said hello. They began to talk about their life, how they'd gotten off the train or gotten off the wagon with God when they were young for this or that reason, just kind of came out and we had a real discussion, okay? Be always ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you about the hope that lies within you with gentleness and respect. That means you're close to people. That means your allegiances, you, got, you, you have one allegiance, it's to, it's, it's to the gospel, it's to the kingdom, period. Who cares about everything else? What difference does it make? Okay, you know, uh, you know, uh, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Keep it to yourself, right? <laughs> Argue with your 
close friends later. Uh, to the Jew, I became like a Jew. To the weak, I became like weak. I became all things to all men. That is, I put everything else down and got as close as I could to people. I didn't make it about me so that I could have a hearing. I could begin to talk about my life and maybe show some of what Christ in me, the hope of glory, so they might say, hey, why do you live your life that way? Okay? Reconciliation is what you were made for. Okay, finally. Reconciliation is what you were made for. This is really what the point is. As I said earlier, to share the love of God is one of the ways that we experience God's love. See? We, we think of it as sort of this ancillary thing. You know, I want to become a Christian. I want to raise my kids in a way. I want to certainly deal with my own challenges and, and sin issues. And, and at some point, I'm going to share my faith, maybe, or maybe the pastor does that. No. It's in sharing God's love that we experience God's love. Right? That's what this passage is saying. Ultimately, we were made to be image bearers in a world that has lost its way. Let me say this. I hope you know this by your own personal testimony. There is no greater joy in all the world than to be used by God to help someone else hear, experience the gospel message that God loves them and died for them and has created an open door for them, has reconciled them. There is no greater joy in all the world than to be used of God for this purpose. It's like we're ambassadors as if God was making his appeal through you. You know, there's three parables in Luke 15. You all know this story, or, or you can look it up. Lost coin, lost um, sheep, and then lost son. But there's a refrain in all of those parables. They're making a point. Here's the refrain. There is rejoicing in heaven. Right? Whatever, whatever heaven looks like, whatever's going on in heaven where God is. There's rejoicing in heaven. What brings rejoicing in heaven? What, you know, what strikes up the band in heaven? What really is the, 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 the thing that makes heaven into an amazing uh, uh, atmosphere of, of celebration? What is it? Is it the, you know, is it the, uh, you know, the, the X treaty? You know, is it the, uh, the Super Bowl? What is it? It's when one person, one person, turns their life over from a self-destructive life and hears the message of the reconciliation who opens their life to this good news and becomes a believer in Jesus Christ. That's what gets heaven excited. And if it's the joy of heaven, I promise you it's the joy of earth, right? It is what you were made for. So how do you do this? A couple quick things, and then we're going to do this. Very, very quick. Rob, I believe that reconciliation begins with the gospel. I believe that reconciliation requires my whole life, right? It's not the church's job. I am the church, right? And I believe that it's what I was made for. How do I do it? Just three things to think about. Warren, we're going to practice. First is I'm going to call this gospel rediscovery. What do I mean by gospel rediscovery? Where do you need a work of the gospel in your life to help you be more available to other people, right? In other words, you, you're, you might be saved like I'm saved. I, I trusted Christ uh, many years ago, 30-some years ago. If I got hit by a bus today, I'd const- I, I, I confidently believe I'd be with Jesus because what he did for me. But all of my life has not experienced the full 
freedom of the gospel. There are still attitudes and values and ideas and blind spots in my life that I need to be fully experienced the work of the gospel. Right? It's what's called spiritual growth. So what is gospel rediscovery? God, where is it? Open my eyes, Lord, that I may see. Right? You know, search me and try me, O Lord, and see if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. That's what gospel rediscovery is. It's a way of life. None of us are there yet. But the more the gospel can do a greater work in your life, the more you're going to be available for God to make his appeal through you. Okay? Second thing is, let's call it discerning prayer. What do I mean by discerning prayer? Whether it's your six neighbors, my six neighbors, my extended family, you know, the world at large, I have no idea who's open to the gospel and who's not. I think it's Acts 18. There's this great passage. Paul's in Corinth. And Corinth was not a city like Paul grew up in. The people in Corinth didn't care about Moses and Abraham and Isaac and the laws of God. And it was a whole different, it was, it was the wild, wild west in Paul's day. And Paul's, everything that, was, that made Paul important in his community, no one cared about it. And he was scared to death. Read 2 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians. He had a lot of fear. And the Holy Spirit comes to Paul when he's in Corinth, a city he'd probably never been to in his whole life, and said, listen, right? Paul, even here in New York City, so to speak, I have many people here. And I want you to don't be afraid. Keep on talking. I'm going to protect you. But isn't it interesting? The Lord said, I don't, he didn't say I have all people because God loves all people. He said, I have many people here. What does he mean by that? I think he means many people who today, Paul, who are open, right? We all come at different times. Only one of my neighbors came back knocking on the door, right? What do I know? Am I available? Discerning prayer says, God, help me, right? Help me to know who in my life right now is open. And the last thing, let me say, is Good Neighbor Day. It was mentioned in the beginning of our, our announcements. It's just one opportunity. The, pen, the, the town of Penfield, Webster, where we live, just for seven years, they've done something that, frankly, the church should have done. Right? Once a year in the spring, they do Good Neighbor Day. What's the purpose of Good Neighbor Day? It's just calling together people. And they, they started seven years ago with, you know, let's rake leaves for some seniors. And, and it was those kinds of people who, who need, uh, you know, a couple hours of some, some, um, some elbow grease, you know, some, some labor just to love the neighborhood. And it's grown from there. It's a great idea. We didn't come up with it, but they said, Browncroft, you want to join us? Yeah, we'd love to. Just for the single purpose of getting to have a greater connection to get our know our community. So this is this Saturday. A couple ways you can get involved. One is, there's still, I think, 20-some slots, maybe it was taken last hour, of people who actually can do the jobs, right? Just go to our website. You can sign up. You, yourself, your small group, your spouse, you and your son, your daughter, whatever. It's only probably an hour or two, max. That's one way. Two, you can serve at the event. We're, we're the host. Browncroft, just this year, 2021, we're kind of the host of the gathering, the celebration gathering, 11, 12 o'clock, 11 through 1 at Rothless Park, which is right over here on Five Mile Line Road, okay? And uh, if you want to just be a part of that team, I don't know, blow up a balloon, uh, hand out some popcorn with gloves on, I don't know, whatever, okay? That's what we're going to do there. Or, but here's the real challenge to all of us. Even if you want, you don't have to do either of those things, just show up, maybe you're only there for an hour, from 11 to 1, right over here, 5 Mile in Atlantic, 
and, um, but bring in somebody. You'd say, well, I know, Pastor, I, I have 100 friends. Only one of them might come to church if I pay them. You know? <laughs> well, but they'd all come to a picnic, okay? Just, hey, you want to come? Let's go do something. Let's go celebrate with, if, if they live anywhere around here, wherever you live, okay? Bring a friend, show up. It's a first step. Amen? Amen. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to practice the first one right here, right now. It's called gospel rediscovery. Okay? That's what communion is. It's an opportunity for us to celebrate what Christ has done, but also ask him to, to, in that same work of the cross, do a greater work in us. So let me say something. Someone coached me last hour. I've been getting so used to doing the coronavirus version of communion here that I forget that everybody gets it. So you have this, there's, you have to bend that flap down and there's two seals. There's a transparent seal and then a foil seal. Once you break it down, then you can pull off the top seal by making sense and that transparent piece of plastic and then you get this wafer, okay? Jesus said on the night he was arrested, okay? He knew where he was going. His disciples really were didn't. And he settled them down and he took the bread, he tore it, he passed it and he said, this is my body, or it represents it, which is going to be broken for you. Right? It's going to be broken for you. And as we prepare to eat it, this is what I'd say. Gospel rediscovery. Where do you need a greater work of the gospel in your life today? In your mind, your heart, your attitudes, your fears, your anxieties, your anger. This is my body that is broken for you. Right? Let's eat together. When supper was ended, he took the cup which was typical in the Passover meal, and he said, I'm going to give this new meaning also. This is or represents the new covenant, the new agreement, the new way, the new creation, the new covenant in my blood that will be shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. God made him to be sin for us, to be judged for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Let's drink together. Pray with me. God and Father, we come to you this morning with uh, both open hearts in need of your grace, a, work, a, for, a greater work of your grace and hungry hearts hungry for, for your purpose to be more fully ex- realized in our lives Lord we there's so much we don't know but we, we know that you know and see all things Lord we want to be a church that is 
fully committed to the mission of God of seeing men and women who are far from God but close to us come to know you as Lord and Savior. Help us, Lord. Do a greater work in us that we might do a greater work with you in this community, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.